More and more badass women are joining the ranks as highly skilled construction professionals. Construction and renovation projects wouldn't happen without the skills of the various crews involved. As we all know, the skilled trades have been male-dominated for like forever. In this season, I'm highlighting the amazing women doing their thing in the construction sector. Every journey and every story is different, but they are all inspiring. Have a listen as I learn about their stories. Hello, and welcome once again to the All Things Renovation Women in Trade series podcast, where I'm using this platform to talk about the amazing women who are doing their thing in the trade sector. Today, I'm so excited to have Chelsea Barrett on the show, and she's pretty badass, so let's, you know, get into her bio right now. She's a member of the Chilcotin First Nation, located in Williams Lake, BC. She's a Red Seal machinist and currently a machinist instructor at BCIT. She's also a regional rep with the BCC WIT, or BC Centre for Women in Trades Training. She's a mentor, advocate for all women, Indigenous peoples, and other minorities in the skilled trades. She's super passionate about reconciliation, as she comes from a line of residential school in the 60s scoop survivors. And she's very committed to bridging the groups together to further the success and unity among all nations and all people, and promoting diversity in the trades. So welcome to the show, Chelsea. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. Hi there. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of the podcast. So once again, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. So please share more about how you ended up becoming a machinist and what does a machinist even do (laughs) for those who don't even have a clue? Like you just hear about machinists uh, Yeah, you don't understand what that is. Please shed some light on all of these things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know it's kind of like an underground trade, but the more you realize like what a machinist does, you realize, man, they like basically make everything or they're a part of so many key things. But um, to start it off, yeah, what got me into the skilled trades originally, you know, throughout high school, I was always very active. I always loved playing sports. I was very, you know, proactive and hands-on, like I was a very hands-on learner and I took, you know, metal and woodwork in, in high school both my brother and my dad were tradesmen. So it was kind of like, you know, passed down through the family. Like I would see my dad working on uh, things around the house. And my brother was always going out to work. He's a boiler maker. My dad's a floor layer. So I just, you know, it was kind of like, I looked up to them a lot and yeah, it was, I did some research. I knew I wanted to get into skilled trades and I eventually landed on becoming a machinist. So like you said, not everyone knows what a machinist is. So basically what a machinist does is they set up and they operate precision machines that cut metal, such as lathes, milling machines, drill presses, grinders, CNC machines, you name it. So it's pretty diverse. Um, a good way I can describe it is we make precision parts. So for example, that is uh, precision parts that would go into a car engine, right? You have to have those parts in the engine for it to work. So that's kind of what the machinists would do. We'd make the intricate parts that actually make the engine run. We would give those parts to the mechanic. They assemble it. Ta-da, your car is running. But the person who's actually making those precision parts behind the scenes, those are the machinists. Okay. So not only do we work in like automotive, we also work in like aerospace, medical industry, forestry. we, We play a huge vital part in keeping the world functioning. Yeah, for sure. So out of all the trades, when you were first considering what to do, what was it about being a machinist that sort of grabbed you and 
was like, oh, this is the one for me. <laughs> um, I think like I was kind of drawn to welding at first. I thought that was pretty awesome. And I think what got got me to land on machinists was just the the precision aspect of the trade. I've I've always been kind of like a perfectionist, not like into a, a crazy amount, but uh, I I kind of had that kind of brain where I was very uh, detail oriented. I liked the fact that I was going to be working indoors, you know, when it rains a lot of the time of the year. Um, and I liked the the routine. I had a good routine going on where I knew I was where I was going every day. I'd go to the same shop. Uh, I knew what machine I was going to go on. It was like I liked that stability. Mm-hmm. So when I heard about that's kind of like the working conditions, I'm like, hmm, that sounds like something I would like to, to get into. And of course, once I found out the kind of work and um, like parts I would be making, the the different you know, machines I would be running, it was, it really drew me in. Um, and also the fact that as, as a female, as a girl working as a machinist, you know, the, the machines doing a lot of the heavy lifting, the work, it was, it's physical because you are on your feet all day. You are working with your hands, but you're not so physically strained. Like if you were to be a boilermaker, like my brother, like it's very physically demanding. And I knew in the long run, that being a machinist would be a good fit for me in that aspect. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, you know, in general, people in the trades, their their bodies take a lot of abuse. Yes, very um, physical work. Yeah, no, and no matter what trade you're in, really. But yeah, definitely. The, there's definitely a component of, yeah, like, you know, physically day in, day out, like, no matter how you identify with gender. Yes. You know, at the end of the your career, your body gets pretty beat up. And, you know, definitely do something yeah. that's, you know, like, like you say, like it's indoor and you kind of know what you're doing and you're not doing like a massive amount of like repetitive heavy lifting and all that kind of stuff. I think it's probably. Let's see yeah. And I like that the part, the part of it. Yeah. I like the part of it that it was not so physically straining, like it's still like physical work, but not like, like you said, it doesn't matter who you are. It, anyone's going to get tired. Um, yeah. I just, in my, for my capabilities, I knew that I wasn't going to be into taking like lifting heavy things all day. Um, and it was more mental. Machining yep. is more mental strength. You're thinking, you're calculating, you're working with numbers. You have to be pretty sharp, but it's that part of the job is what kind of drew me in. Cause I, I knew that my personality would be a good fit for it. Cool. So out of all of the different parts and pieces and things that you've <laughs> been part of to make, what were some of the more interesting things? Oh, well, I've, I worked on some pretty interesting parts for the forestry industry, um, some pretty intricate drive shafts, for example. There was uh, this one type of part that I would machine. It was called the clipper roll, and it started out as like um, 3,000 pounds raw stock material, steel, and we would shave it down, and you know it would end up the, the, the weight at the end of it all was probably close to 2,000 pounds. So it was quite a large work piece. I remember the first time I started working on it, I was literally scared shitless. Like <laughs> it was intimidating. It was scary, but you know, what? I, I, with the right training and I believed myself, I, the first time I made one, I literally took a step back. I'm like, I can't believe I just did this. Like I can do anything. So that one sticks out to me just because the size, the tolerances on the part were so tight. Like it was, it, everything had to be perfect and I pulled it off. I, I love that part of the, of the story is just, you know, facing something that is maybe a, uncomfortable, a little challenging, like you say, a little intimidating, you know, that's a, um, that's a skill 
in of itself to kind of face that and like push through no matter what sector you're in or what your life is like. I mean, lots of people would just go, no, I can't do this and walk away. Um, so I commend you for facing that. And then like, of course, and then at the end, end of the, the machining and all the things that you're doing, you have this like tangible piece that you're like, I did that. And I know from being on the woodworking side of things to have this thing that started off as a raw stick in essence and in your case you know raw hunk of metal and then you end up with a finished thing that functions in some way shape or form and like it, there really is cause and effect to see what your your actions did and then you have this like really tangible result like that's it's so satisfying yeah definitely it's you take a step back and you're like wow like you know you I did that it's it's very rewarding and you know I like to I always take photos and send it to my dad and you know it's just I'd be so proud of it. And that's another huge whole separate part of this job is the reward that you get at the end, just seeing your part or whatever you've just made function and you see it at the assembly level and you're like, well, like that's going to make a difference. Yeah, for sure. Like it's not just paper that you move from one side to the other or like, you know, an <laughs> inbox that you clear out, right? Like there's yeah. something like super tangible about seeing the results of your, the fruits of your labor, if you will, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, you've sort of, gone from obviously being an active machinist to actively teaching at BCIT. So how did that transition occur for you? Yeah, so it was interesting um, like how the, how it all came to. Um, I was doing, a, 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 I guess, a, with WorkBC, they were promoting the skilled trades and they were doing like a kind of like they were filming some commercials and they were making a profile online and making advertisements to kind of get the word out there about, you know, skilled trades being a great opportunity and option. And uh, they actually came to my work and they did some uh, photos and stuff for their, their website. And they actually asked me to go to BCIT to take some more videos in the machine shop because they wanted a, a, a portion at the BCIT campus and whatnot for their, um, their, portfolio that they were putting together and I, I guess the the dean there got wind that I was going to be there and he told someone to stop by and see me and make sure I didn't leave but before the end of the day and th he wanted to talk to me so I was like okay this sounds interesting I'll definitely go and meet up with him and I didn't really know what it was going to be about he didn't, I wasn't told but sure enough he just dropped the bomb on me saying hey like what do you feel how do you feel about becoming an instructor here one day at BCIT and I was like taken back like wow like did he just ask me that? Like, I've always wanted to, it, like, that was always a dream of mine, but it's, it's so hard to become an instructor um, because, you know, once people become instructors, they're usually there till the end of their careers because it's such a great job and opportunity. And I didn't know that I'd ever get that chance. Um, so I basically, I tried, I, I went to the interview, the first one, I, unfortunately, I didn't get it, but I just kept on working in industry and I knew that if there was another chance down the road, I would try again. I didn't give up. And so I went for a second interview about a year later and that, that time I was accepted and they, they hired me and it was quite a historical moment because I was the first female full-time permanent instructor in the machine shop at BCIT. So it's been predominantly male forever as long as they've been at BCIT so it was a huge win for women in trades or, you know, minorities in trades, uh, indigenous people in trades. It was, yeah, it was an awesome moment. And, you know, I'm just super grateful to have been chosen for that role. 
and I totally have goosebumps coming up on my arm right now because I think it's fantastic. <laughs> um, so did you have to, did you take any additional like training to be a teacher? Yes. Yeah, so uh, they will, they prefer you to have your provincial instructor's diploma before they take you in, but they are willing to work with you along the way. So if you are going to take your provincial instructor's diploma while you're teaching, they support you along your journey to, to achieve that goal. And as of where I am right now, because um, I started in 2020 when it was full-blown COVID, it was a tough time to be become an instructor uh, at that point. Um, but I started my journey in, in the PID program, Provincial Instructors Diploma Program, um, in 2020, October. And now I have one elective left and my capstone, and I'll finally be finished. So it's been a long crazy journey of homework and reading and researching and presenting and uh, I will be so happy when I get that under my belt but yes um, you do need to have that credential which makes sense to be an impactful teacher you should have some sort of training in that sector for sure yeah for sure for sure um, in your bio we also talked about that you're a regional rep for BCC WIT um, the, we've had a bunch of other people I've talked to on the show and and there's they, some of them have been part of BCC, what others, you know, um, BC Tradeswomen Society and all, all that kind of stuff. And I'm always super curious about how people sort of fallen into these sort of roles or what have you. Um, and so how did, how did you become part of BCC WIT and, and then a, reg and a regional rep? Yeah. Also, I will say I did see the other people you've had on and I do know many of them from BCC WIT and they're all awesome people. I, I well, love them. <laughs> all fabulous people Absolutely. yeah and a few of them are like my colleagues like the other instructors at BCIT so I was super pumped to see their names on there too so um but yeah how I heard about BC BCC wet uh, was basically at first like through connections I made in industry um I started taking uh, diversity and inclusion workshops that they put on back in like 2018 so I basically got into it through connections I had from work and um my mom she works for skilled trades BC and um, she made connections for me through for, with some other uh, people who are in the skilled trades who were talking on panels about, you know, women in the trades or underrepresented groups in the trades. And I would, you know, I volunteered for those kind of events. And that's kind of how I made these uh, connections. And um, yeah, and once I did the diversity inclusion workshop, I just continued to be proactive in the trades community, um, you know, talking to different panels, doing presentations. Um, and I just kind of kept that momentum going and I eventually took the leadership training with BCC WIT recently uh, and became a regional rep. And I've met some awesome people in the trades community, like ones you've had on your podcast already. Um, and honestly, the skills that I've learned from their leadership workshops um, is really given me the skills and confidence in my own career as an instructor. You know, it's important to stay informed and create diverse and safe classrooms for my students and um, the skills I've developed and relationships I've formed with other people in the same industry has really just been eye-opening. I really felt like I found like my people like alongside all of these awesome trades people that I've you know become friends with and learned from and I just really want to keep dedicating myself down this path that I'm on with making the skilled trades safe for everyone and that's through mentoring and breaking down barriers for the future, for the future generations. Yeah, so I'm, we're segueing right right into my next uh, <laughs> sort of thought that I wanted to touch on was that um, you you did mention to me too that 
you do work with Indigenous youth and women, um, other equity-seeking groups, um, and that you've been mentoring some youth and students and stuff like that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about those things that you've been up to, um, and are are we are we seeing any are are you seeing anything shift or change or uh, maybe some of the youth that you've been mentoring are you seeing them become more excited about being in the trades, um, feeling more comfortable, maybe considering them in the first place and all that kind of stuff. So maybe just tell me a little bit more about this mentoring that you've been up to and how is it how is it flushing out. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of work with Indigenous youth recently. Um, as maybe not everyone knows, uh, they are the fastest growing demographic in Canada is Indigenous youth. So they have been a huge uh, focus of, I guess, probably government, focus of, of training providers, schools. And it's been a focus of mine because obviously I'm very passionate about mentoring and helping out Indigenous youth because of my background. I, I see myself in a lot of them too, kind of, you know, they need a little bit of guidance. And if I can make any impact on them and helping them make a decision, whether it's in the skilled trades or not, right, just support them in any way. My background just happens to be skilled trades, and it's a huge opportunity for uh, Indigenous youth. Um, if you look back traditionally, the way that Indigenous people have kind of lived together through the elders passing down knowledge to the, the children, it's it's almost like an apprenticeship way of life. The mm -hmm. elders and parents show the kids and then like how to fish, how to hunt. And then it's almost like an apprenticeship. Then they go and do this. Like they practice skills, very hands-on learners. And that's why like I feel that I just need to kind of open their eyes to the opportunity of possibly taking this path in skilled trades. And I've been working with different programs throughout the Vancouver uh, School District. Um, there's a program called Horizons in uh, Vancouver that are, it's basically for um, mentoring Indigenous youth. And I've actually went out to um, a retreat up at Loon Lake in Maple Ridge. And I did a presentation for them, just kind of who I am, what I do, and just kind of get the ball rolling with the idea that skilled trades is an option. And um, also at BCIT, they have been really great recently. Um, we put on a trade sneak peek was what they called it uh, for indigenous high school students to come through our campus for a trade sneak peek event. They got to try out different trades for the day. I was able to run the, run them through the, what a machinist does. And I got them to run the CNC machines in the shop. So they were very excited. They got to make little cool little hockey stick keychains and little spinners. And yeah, it was really great to see the excitement and the switch that's currently happening. Um, I think it's important that we are talking to them and, and just youth in general uh, at a younger age in high school about the opportunities out there. Because I remember when I was in high school, I graduated in 2012, so it wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, I, I felt like I didn't, that wasn't even an option. No career counselors even mentioned, hey, did you think about the skilled trades? It was always about get a degree at university. That's the only way. And I just want to break down that stigma that that is the only acceptable path. That is not true. There is a huge need for skilled trades workers in the country and around the world because there's going to be a huge gap where people are going to be retiring and we need young people to take over because without skilled trades people as a society, it just, just cannot function, right? Oh, absolutely. Like you're, you're preaching to the choir here, right? This is part of too. Just like, and we're already there. Like we're already desperate for skilled uh, yes. trades people. 
um, so many people that I know that are in the world trade world at large, they're desperate to find people who are skilled. Like it's just so hard to find yep. good people who are switched on and they've got like that mindset thing going. Um, and yeah, I mean, part of it comes down to this narrative that we historically has been passed down through multiple <clears throat> generations of people that university is the only way yeah. to have a good life. And it's just been this thing that just gets passed down and passed down. And I, there is some change I'm seeing, like the high school that my daughter goes to, um, they have three different uh, pre-apprenticeship style programs, carpentry awesome. and um, uh, to be a chef, uh, culinary school. And um, the students can actually, in their last semester of grade 12, they actually get a, a place to, at uh, somewhere to work. And it's like the first step of their their potential apprenticeship for so sure you have to matriculate before that but with all their cor other courses but you know some high schools are doing that but of course there's like a, a kajillion trades that you can consider out there <laughs> like you know not every high school is big enough to even do what my daughter's high school is doing that, that has three which is actually pretty remarkable but um yeah I think part of the the deal is just doing what we're doing here you know we're just highlighting hey this is the trades and we're women in trades or in youth and trade. And um, the more you see it at large, the more you can potentially see yourself in it. And yes. I think that's part of the, part of the change that needs to be continued on from this point forward is to be a lot more visible and to just keep that, that conversation going, keep that narrative going where, the, you know, here's a, another option. It's not just university or nothing. Yeah. So um, when you're talking to these, these groups and the youth and all that kind of stuff, are you able to provide them like any wisdom or sage advice um, that would maybe tip the scales and have them really consider it? Like, what do you normally say to them around, you know, if someone comes up to you and goes, yeah, you know, I didn't really think about it before and now I'm really considering it. Like, what, what's your next thing? What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I just kind of give them uh, some insight of what your life could look like in the skilled trades. I really provide them with the fact that there's job security or job opportunity. I really like, I kind of, when they ask me questions, I don't just spout stats to them. I try to like give them a story like that they can relate to. I talk to them about what it was like for me and I try to relate to them. And I just kind of give them advice like, hey, if you don't have it all figured out right now, it's it's okay. Like you sometimes you just have to get out of your comfort zone. I really emphasize the comfort zone. I can tell some some youth are a little bit more, you know, um, retreated. They're kind of quiet. I, I try to get them to warm up to me. And usually by the end of our sessions, they are to ask me questions and they're they're totally different. But I just try to really emphasize that it's okay not to have a plan completely set out, but just hey consider this this is what uh, a life in the trades we look like this is what you're gonna have to do this is what you can expect just give them some insight and then I try to relate to them like you know um like when I did that the work bc thing with what ultimately got me this current job as an instructor I'm not one who likes to go in front of a camera like I know I've done some photo stuff but like at the beginning like that was something I really had to push myself out of my comfort zone from I kind of, I'm, I'm very chatty and personable, but I, I don't like when the entire spotlight is on me, honestly. 
So <laughs> that was really hard for me to do. And um, it, but because I said, you know what, I'm going to do it, push myself where I haven't gone, get uncomfortable, like, and just grow from that. And I try to get them to understand that they have to do the same thing. You have to be okay with getting out of your comfort zone in order to grow. So take chances. Hey, you didn't think about going in the trades. Well, maybe if you, if this sounds like something that's up your alley, look into it, try, take chances, get get, put yourself out there because if you don't try, you won't, nothing will come of it. But if you don't try, you'll regret it too, right? You kind of stay in the same spot. So that's the kind of advice I kind of give them. And I know they're, they're still young. They have a lot of, you know, things they want to figure out, but I just try to be supportive and just give them stories from my perspective, what I did, what I went through, and hopefully it can relate to them in some way. And they, it sparks an interest. Yeah, for sure. So and I think it's also really great that, I mean, you can talk about maybe like your dad and your brother's sort of background and story. And then yeah. your mom is also works at Skilled Trades BC. What's her role there? Um, she's uh, She was working in the Indigenous Initiatives Department, but now she's part of, I believe it's the Equity Seeking, um, I'm not sure the exact title, but it's the Equi- Equity Seeking Group. So she works with other team members and they, they kind of target like things like um, Indigenous people in trades, uh, other equity seeking groups. And, and they, they're working towards, you know, getting the numbers up. Like my mom's told me a lot of great uh, statistics about how many people, how many Indigenous people they've actually gotten into the trades training um, in the past couple of years. And the numbers are growing and that, that's that's what they're trying to do is promote that and, and get them to really build a life that they can, you know, be proud of and support their families and keep moving up. And because it's been a, a rough past for a lot of these indigenous families and their backgrounds. And now we're, we're t- starting to see the growth, the, the healing. And it's, it's honestly amazing that um, the, I, that's, that's why I really am passionate about the indigenous youth. If I can make their lives better in any way. And that's, that's the ultimate goal here. Oh, for sure. I mean, no matter what, a rising tide floats all boats. So let's, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> let's raise our youth up and give them the, this as an option. And yeah. as the narrative is concerned around how life can be. And you don't have to only do XYZ. There's all of these other things out there. Um, and with, you know, inclusion and equity initiatives, no matter what, we're all going to benefit. You know, and I sit here as like, fairly privileged white person so you know like yeah I've had my own path and struggles and all that kind of stuff but I'm definitely like okay I'm a I'm a minority when it comes to like trade because I'm a woman trade but generally like you know I've had to push through a bunch of those sorts of things but I think when you're doubling and tripling down uh, on different things to be able to like come and be and rise and and really have a fantastic life and you're being presented with options as opposed to nothingness and, you know, getting those seeds planted early so that, you know, we can (laughs) potentially get like this whole wave of, you know, skilled people that are going to enter into the trades and, you know, our whole society needs them. Right. Like I say all the time, like no matter how nicely you ask Alexa, she's not going to fix your toilet, you know, like, no, (laughs) we need people who can be on the tools that have that know-how. I mean, otherwise we're all going to just grind to nothing like we need we need skilled trades praise people totally um, if you look in those buildings like a like an office building you look around the people in there or maybe they're accountants maybe they're lawyers whatever they're they have a, an important role in society as well but you got to give respect to the skilled trades workers out there because if you look around that office that building 
there isn't a single spot in that building that was not touched by a skilled tradesperson, whether exactly. it was building it, it was doing the plumbing, electrical, painting, finishing, you name it, like flooring, It's it just goes on. Like without these people, we really don't have anywhere for us to work. We don't have the infrastructure. It would be catastrophic for yeah. everyone. So and, and not to mention, got, it's about time we get the respect. Yeah, exactly. And not to mention that all of those materials were touched by somebody Yes. To, to take the raw material and turn it into a two by four, or take raw material and turn them into windows or, yes. or whatever. And like, and all the machines that <laughs> help us, like, you know, make all those components are, you know, as part of your trade, right. To Yeah. So I, I think just everything is so interlocked and interwoven. And I think once people understand that it really, it, it is a, a tapestry and a fabric of everybody all working together. I think it, you know, it illuminates sort of this whole, hey, we're all part of this community, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so do you have anything else that you would want to share with our listeners about what your path has been uh, and a little something, a narrative that you want to just send out to the youth or what have you? <laughs> um, and if you don't, no, no problem. I always just ask if there's something else that maybe somebody wants to add into the mix here. Yeah, no, I just, you know, at this, at this point, um, I, I just, I'm really excited for, for like the future of skilled trades. I, I see the change, like you said, in your daughter's high school, I, I see the change in the switch and how people are approaching skilled trades, the way that the way they're talking about the skilled trades. I have three high school students who are in my uh, foundations course from high school. They, they've decided to take six months of their, you know, their they have to get their specific credit credits for graduation, but then they're taking the CNC program on the, for the other portion of their schooling. So just seeing the increase of high school students in these programs, seeing the narrative change and just, you know, the, the growing rate of indigenous people in the trades. I just, I, I'm just very happy and it makes me feel happy knowing that I get to help these people and seeing their progress throughout their apprenticeship is an amazing feeling. Um, and it's really special to be part of all their journey. And that's just kind of what I wanted to leave this conversation on. It's just, I'm, I'm hopeful and I just well, can continue doing the work alongside all awesome people like you and oh. the other people I've met at BCC WED. And yeah, there's just some real trailblazers um, that I've, that have mentored me primarily who I've met through BCC WED and my other colleagues at work, the other instructors and us together working together to make this happen. And getting the word out, like having these podcasts is is what's going to keep the the momentum and the ball rolling. So thanks again so much for having me on and letting me share my piece. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm just, I'm so thrilled that you, that you agreed to come on. This is a, a passion project for me. And um, it's just been fabulous to talk with all of the women I've had on and including you now today. Um, I always like to leave the this very last question is what is your favorite tool and why? Just to <laughs> kind of like make it kind of fun. Okay, so I think... My favorite tool has got to be my Mitotoyo 8-inch coolant-proof calipers because okay. I use them every day. The calipers, I just, they're, you can literally measure anything with them. I, like, walk around the shop with them in my hand at all times. It's just, like, I think any machinist will agree with me on this one. It's just, they are, I, you might as well, like, if you're a machinist, you got them in your back pocket at all times kind of thing. Those are my go-tos, my, my Mitotoyo calipers. Uh, I'd have to go with that. Excellent. All right. Well, Chelsea, thanks again for chatting with me today. I'm so excited to see what comes next for you and see what kind of 
results we get from all of the hard work that you and others are doing to help mentor our youth and to you know usher them into the skilled <laughs> trade sector. And uh, for those of you who are listening, thanks. I really appreciate it. And be sure to check out our other episodes in this as well as our other series. And until next time, keep swinging those hammers and keep being badass at whatever career that you're in. Thanks again for having, coming on the show today, Chelsea. Yeah, thanks so much. You bet. Thanks for listening. And I hope you feel as inspired as I do. If you or someone you know has interest in the trades, there are many resources, many programs and supports. There's also a ton of women's groups out there specifically for those who are in the trades. We'll list a number of them in the show notes, but be sure to reach out if you're having challenges finding some in your area. We're all in this together after all, and we're happy to help in any way we can.